Okay, so this is where we are in First Chronicles. First Chronicles is about uh, just the, the life of David, really. It's about the life of David. And uh, we, in the last four or five chapters, David... King David, remember Jesus is the son of David, don't forget that. David is the beginning of the uh, kings in the messianic line, meaning that his descendant would be the Messiah, and he had been told that. And the first king of Israel, King Saul, was a king, the kind of king that the people wanted. They cried out for a king in the beginning of 1 Samuel. And God was very upset. Samuel was very upset. He says, I want to be your king. Um, but they, they, they cried out for a king, and uh, they, they wanted a king that looked like the other nations. So they got Saul. Saul was taller than everyone, more handsome than everyone, more charismatic than everyone. And Samuel warned them, he says, okay, if you want the kind of king that you want, he will tax you, he will take your money, he'll take your children to be his servants and his warriors, he will um, basically, he's going to do what men do, he will rule the kingdom uh, as if it were his own. And indeed, they said, doesn't matter, we want him anyway. So God gave them what they wanted. Remember the expression, be careful what you pray for, because sometimes... God will give it to you. And if you're just praying something carnal and you pray it over and over and over again and God says no, 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 but you keep praying it and it's something purely carnal, it's not something that God wants, he may just give it to you so you find out the hard way that it's not something that God wants for your life. And that's what happened with King Saul. King Saul was killed in battle and David, that's when David came in. And David was a... Uh, a wonderful, wonderful king, but he was—he had flaws, right? He had some serious flaws. He was a man after God's own heart, but he, in First um, Samuel, or rather Second Samuel, we saw that he sinned with Bathsheba, and we are about to see him sin again. Verse one of First Chronicles twenty-one. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel, in other words, take a census. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my lord the king, are not they all my lord's servants? Why then does my lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? In other words, he's wanting to number the people just to look in the mirror in the morning and think about how great he is because he has so many subjects. That's why he's doing it. And Joab knows what's going on. Joab was a, is a man of serious flaws and faults, but you see him rise to the occasion. I hope you have friends in your life that when you're moving in pride, they will get up in your face and say, hey, you're doing something wrong. Because that's what's going on here. The problem with pride is what? 
Someone shout it out. Pride, pride what? It what? It deceives you? What's another word? What? It's all about yourself. And what happens to your eyes when you're proud? The Bible says it, it blinds you. So a lot of times you don't even know what's going on. Where the pride is blinding you and you don't even see it. And we rely on a couple things. One, the Word of God. Never think it's okay to just skip church or skip your time in, in the Word of God because you'll read the Word of God and as you read the Word of God, you're asking the Holy Spirit, you're asking God, please just show me something. And from time to time, the Word of God will point at you and say, you got pride, that's why you're doing this thing. Or you may have someone in the body of Christ who loves you enough to do that. The problem with pride, though, oftentimes when you confront people with pride, um, they get angry because that's what pride does. I know um, in, ye in years past, I, before I was a pastor, um, I was a young Christian, um, my pastor and the assistant pastor, no, another elder confronting with me with pride, and I was very angry. Why? Because I had pride, and I, could, I was blinded. And so here he's so blind, he doesn't, um, he, he doesn't pay attention to Joab, and it says, nevertheless, the king's word, verse 4, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab, therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And so, you know, it is so easy to allow uh, pride to come in and, and you start, you know, another thing going on here is we saw David, we've been looking at David for a while and remember in 1 Samuel, he was winning all his battles. Remember how many people he had? How many men did he had? Someone shut it out. 400. It went to 600. But he went, he, he got ba battle after battle after battle after battle. He won with 400 men, and then it was 600 men. And, you know, here he is. He's wanting to know what's his security, what's in my retirement account. I want to make sure there's plenty of, uh, of money there in my retirement. Let me sit around and, and count it or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's what happens. Remember a couple Sunday mornings ago, we talked about Peter going into pride. Remember that? And what did he do that was so foolish on the night Jesus was betrayed, on the night he was arrested? Remember what he did? What did he do? He cut off someone's ear that's right, but then what did he do? He what? He lied about knowing Jesus, and right before he lied about knowing Jesus, like where was he when that happened? What? Where was the fire? It was in the courtyard of the high priest, where there's all these people and he walked in, and these people were very antagonistic to Jesus. And he goes into this place right into the midst of an enemy. It's like an alcoholic going into a bar and saying, well, I, I can handle this. I can handle this. And 
He, he went in there, and he went where there's going to be all these people antagonistic to Jesus, and he thought he could handle it. That's pride. He never should have been in that room. And, and, and th- this, is, this is what pride does. We, we wind up doing things that um, we should never do. And the problem with pride, whether you're an unbeliever or whether you are a believer, there's a principle in the Bible, and it is this, James, the book of James, God opposes the proud, and he exalts the humble. First Peter chapter 5, same thing. God opposes the proud, and he exalts the humble. It says in Proverbs 10, chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes in, then comes shame, but with the humble there is wisdom. Do you see a man's wise in his own eyes? Proverbs 26, 12. There is more help, more hope for a fool than for him. And so um, when pride comes in, it, it, it's a dangerous thing. Um, but here you have Joab doing what a good uh, friend uh, does, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter because he. he you know, at this time, whatever, he's, he's backslidden, he's not in the Word, he's not in worship, and he doesn't get it. He goes, go ahead, I still want you to do it. In 2 Samuel 24, we, not only Joab was against it, all of David's generals were against it. Don't take a census. Don't do it. They were scared because they knew enough about God that God opposes the proud. Um, look what it says at the end of verse 3. Job said, why should, he be, why should you be a cause, he meaning you, be a cause of guilt in Israel? Meaning he knew that they were going to get whacked and it's going to happen before, the, before tonight is out, tonight's teaching. They're going to get whacked. Verse 5, then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword, but he did not count Levi, those are the priests and the church workers, and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. I mean, it he's being a good soldier here. He's obeying the general, but he's just, he, he can't bring it upon himself to even finish just because it just sickens him. This, this is all about boasting. There's no purpose to it. Now, in the book of Numbers, God tells Israel to number, is, um, to number them. So it's not that a census, it's not that you're wrong participating in a census, Censuses, for example, today are important to figure out where the voting precincts are and that type of thing. And in the book of Numbers, God needed um, to number them because he was going to allot portions of Israel to each tribe based upon how many people they have. It's all about the heart, right? It's always all about the heart, and and as it was right here. And so... um, uh, it says he did not count Levi because he was an ab- abomination. Verse 7, and God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So just keep that in mind. 
We'll come back to that later. He struck Israel. So um, David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. I, I don't know if you've been in this place. I've been in it many times. The consequences of my stupidity, my rebellion, my foolishness, my sin starts I start reaping what I sow, and then all of a sudden I realize I've sinned greatly. God, get me out of this. Please, God. And God's like, why didn't you listen to me in the first place? Well, you know. But, but, but that, God's a merciful God. And I, you always cling to Exodus 34, that verse 6 and 7, that he's abounding in mercy because this is what we do. So after the fact, he didn't listen to Joab. Joab says, don't take a census. You don't want to do that. You'll, go, you'll bring guilt upon all of us. No, no, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Joab does it. Something starts happening. Israel starts suffering. David realizes, whoa, um, I brought this on Israel. He says, I've sinned greatly, but now I pray, take, take away the iniquity of your servant. It just seems so unfair. Um, uh, being God, it's like... We're so unfair to him, right? We, we blindly walk and do stupid things, and then we ask him to get out of it. And what does he do? He gets us out of it. He's a merciful God. That's who, that's who he is. And so he does. Psalm 32 says, Blessed are, is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one who, who, upon whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and, who, and whose Spirit is no deceit. And, um, and, and, and David says in Psalm 32, he said, When I kept silent, uh, my bones ached with groaning all day long. Day and night, the Lord's hand was heavy upon me, and my, my vitality became as the drought of summer until I acknowledged my sin. And that's, and that's what he does. He, he, he makes our life like the drought of summer, kind of like outside right now, until we just come and we confess. So he says, I sinned greatly. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, verse 9, David's seer, First Chronicles 21, 9 here, saying, go and tell David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So very unusual here. Uh, he says, I'm, God says to David, I'm going to discipline you but you get to choose your discipline. You get to choose how you're chastened. Like, do you want a beating? Do you want to go in the, you know, in your bedroom for a month, or do you want to, to not have your allowance? Except these are way, way worse. He, he said, speak to Gad, tell, offer him three things. Verse 11, so Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine, or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, a plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And I tell you, I just love verse 13 because it shows that he knows the Lord. I just love this. 
It says, David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. You know, there's a reason the Bible says uh, vengeance is the Lord. Romans chapter 12 says, uh, allow room for wrath. In other words, let God uh, be the one who punishes the people who wronged you because all we're ever going to do is overdo it. And so David knows that about his own heart. He knows that about the heart of man. If he falls into the heart of his enemies, which is one of the choices, they're going to be a thousand times worse than the Lord who's abounding in mercy. And so he says, okay, I don't want to go into the hand of man. I want to go into the hand of the Lord. David is a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. When, first, when Samuel was choosing a new king because Saul was such a bad king, Samuel said to Saul, you're history, bro. God has chosen someone else to be king, a man after his own heart. And David knows the heart of the Lord, and he knows the Lord's going to be merciful, which he will, and we will see that. Verse 14, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. 70,000 people died. Now, I hope you're asking the question, this doesn't seem very fair, that because of David's sin, 70,000 people died. But the answer to that question, we were in, oh, I don't know, a few months ago, where the same story is told in 2 Samuel 24. Remember, 2 Samuel is like, First uh, and Second Samuel is like First Chronicles. And that's just like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So story of Jesus from three different perspectives. Same thing with First and Second Samuel as opposed to First Chronicles. And in Second Samuel, we found, find out the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, so he moved David against them and said, go number Israel and Judah. So what happened here, because in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 1, it says, um, 21, verse 1, it says, Satan moved against Israel to number Israel. So what happens, and this is, Steffi and I have had this discussion in the last 24 hours. It's like, how does this thing work between God's choosing and our free will? So what apparently happened Israel was in rebellion. The anger of the Lord was against them for something that they did. God, God allows Satan to come and tempt David to take a census of, of Israel. But the 70,000 people that died, yes, God's doing 10,000 different things all at the same time, all the time. He's punishing David for his sin, but there's a greater sin, and we'll talk about in a minute about what, what, what I think that is, but 70,000 people die because of it. So 70,000 people die in a plague. Verse 15, God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroying it, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster, meaning he stopped the destruction of Jerusalem, and said to the angel who was destroying, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So apparently what is happening here 
is this, the timing here is right after Absalom's rebellion. If you guys remember, Absalom was David's son. He was gorgeous. And I never really know what that means for a man. Every guy I think is good looking, my daughters and my wife says he's ugly. And then also the reverse. So I, I really don't understand. But Absalom apparently was like this gorgeous dude. The Bible says he was incredibly handsome and he had long hair and if women, if you're into that, whatever, but he had long hair. He, he cut it every year and used to sell it. And um, he uh, basically said, I don't like my dad being king. Just like Eve said, I don't like God being king of my life. He said, I don't like my dad being king, so I'm going to win people over to me. And he did. He was very charismatic. He was very good looking. And all Israel, except a relatively few, came over to him. David fled the city. There was a civil war, and Absalom got crushed, and his army got crushed. Remember David, 400 men, 600 men? It, it, it doesn't matter how many people David has. When, he's, when you are walking with the Lord, it doesn't matter what your resources are. You're going to win. You plus one is a majority with God. Uh, and so Absalom was crushed, but meanwhile... Um, many people died, and the Lord is not happy with Israel. It said, look at what you, you just did. You just rebelled against my anointed, and it is believed that that is what's going on here. This is the judgment um, over Israel at this time. That's why the, the 70,000 men. And so uh, if you remember when we were in um, 2 Samuel, you don't have to turn there, but it's really interesting. David looks and he sees an angel stretching out his hand over Jerusalem. And he said, it says in 2 Samuel 24, 17, he actually sees the thing. I mean, so when you think about angels, don't think about these little dudes with harps and they have little curly blonde hair. And no, that's not a, no, you, you, when you see an angel, you're terrified. Remember the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb? They were terrified, those dudes. And, and, and so um, it, this is one gigantic angel. You know the one in Revelation where it, you know, one foot's on the ocean, the other's in land? I mean, uh, these angels, um, it, it says here, about this angel, uh, where are we here? It says here, David lifted up his eyes, uh, verse 21, and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. You know, I pray for our church that we would fall on our faces a little easier than we do. The Lord is God, and he's a friend, but he's also God who is almighty God, and uh, he's holy. They fall on their faces. David said to God, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed, but these sheep what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. See, David doesn't realize that God is doing other things. There's other things on God's mind rather than just his sin. 
And this becomes a huge problem um, just in the body of Christ, that people, you know, they, they, they have this very narrow view of God and what he must be doing, but they're not aware that he's also doing a lot of other things. Um, and uh, th- that is the case here. He doesn't realize, no, the Lord is, um, he's also coming against Israel. Verse 18, therefore, the, this is almost comical here, the next few verses. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, so remember, Gad's the prophet, he commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of God, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel. He actually saw him. This gigantic angel with a big sword, uh, an angel of death type of thing. He saw him and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. So his sons take off, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. Now, that, this guy was a, a man of God, and, and this is what men and women of God do. You know, when the Lord's in the midst of a judgment, you just continue doing what the Lord has always called you to do. Uh, you don't buy an RV and go up to New Hampshire and buy machine guns and food and stuff like that to protect yourself in the tribulation. No, you don't do that. Um, you just go and you do what God has told you to do, and you're, fa- you're going to be, God will protect you. If he wants to take you, he'll take you. But um, he just continues working, but his sons take off father's and uh, mothers, so important that you be an example of courage to your children. So important that you be an example of courage. And, and there will be times um, where your kids, man, they'll get scared and they'll run for cover. You got to take a stand and, and, you know, with the Lord and show them courage. This world takes courage to, to live in, let me tell you. It really does. It really does. So he, he just continues. That's what the part that I think is almost funny. I, but anyway, verse 21, David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out for, from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this flesh, threshing floor. Give it to me that I may build it not, not give it to me, grant it, means sell it to me. It, it really is, sell me this place that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price, but the plague may be with, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, take it to yourself. Let my Lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offering, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering, I give it all. So he just wants to give the whole thing to David. Not only the property, but also cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, and also the wood uh, to, to, to do the burnt um, offering with. He, he says, I give it all at the end of verse 23. And then this is a well-known verse, and it should be. Uh, David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full p- price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord. And this is the, the, the important part that you hear quoted um, often. Nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. In, in other words, I'm... I, 
I'm not going to offer to the Lord, you know, that which didn't cost me anything. It, it, God's not going to enjoy that. The whole purpose of my life is to bless the heart of the Lord. Why is he, why, why you know, you're walking into church and, and you, uh, you, you have, your money is stuffed, your pocket is stuffed with money and, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to give something to the Lord today. Someone overhears you and says, oh, I'll do it for you. Um, take a hundred bucks. Oh, good. I don't have to spend any of my money. That's not going to bless the Lord. Now you have that times, I don't know how much here, and you have, you know, David's buying a large area here. This is where the temple is going to be. It's where the dome of the rock is, or whatever the Muslim temple is today. It's right on top of it. Uh, the first temple, the second temple were, uh, was put there, and now there's a Muslim mosque there, and it's where the, uh, this holy place in Jerusalem, this is it right here. And he says, no, I'm, I'm going to give you money. He gave Ornan, verse 25, 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. And so our giving needs to hurt. It needs, it needs to be given with joy. But if it's not hurting, if, if, if I'm, you know... If I'm making $500,000 a year and I'm giving $20,000 um, to the Lord, that's nothing. That's not, that, that, that's not an offering that blesses the heart of the Lord. And, 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 it, and that's why we need that tithe, that 10% amount to work towards and then go beyond because if we didn't have it, we'd just be given our pocket change. We need something to guide us. Um, and 10% generally hurts. Most people, that hurts. 10%. In a good way, I mean. I, I, you know, it should be given cheerfully, right, with, with joy, but it's like, wow, you're actually giving up something um, when you give. I'm not going to offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. So he gives him 600 shekels of gold. Verse 26, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Here's the amazing thing about the Lord. So remember the burnt offering, what does it represent? It represents your, it, the whole offering, the whole animal's burnt, consumed by fire. And it, it's Romans 12, 1, offer your lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. You're just giving your whole life. That's a burnt offering. Um, in, in the Old Testament, we don't have to do it now, but they would offer a bull or a lamb or a pigeon, whatever you could afford. And so it's, it's, we sang, what are we saying? The first song today that we sung um, was surrender. Uh, we sang surrender. I surrender all to you, all to you. Uh, maybe if we have time, we can sing it again at the end. Because <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful song. Um, and uh, that's what he's doing here. He's surrendering. But notice not only um, burnt offerings, but what? Peace offerings. So here's a guy who understands grace. So a big part of my job is dealing with people who don't understand grace because they don't have peace because they're just so caught up in their guilt all the time. This guy committed a very serious sin, but he knows he's forgiven. He knows he's forgiven, so he can actually offer a peace offering. He says, oh, I can't, I can't do a peace offering. All the, you know, 70,000 people just died because of my sin. At least that's what's in his own mind. But the Bible teaches... Romans chapter 5, verse 1, what a verse. Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It really blesses the heart of the Lord. When, for example, I explained it you know, in the communion service. When, 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 when you've been in a sin, but you just let it go, ask God for forgiveness, and you take communion. You, that's our peace offering today as a communion service. That's our peace offering. And so um, uh, that's what he does here. Not only burn offerings, but peace offerings. He understands grace, but he also understands the principle of surrender. And like I said in the prayer when we were praying about that song at the beginning, we have to surrender every day. Because man, not even three hours into a day, we're taking someone something back, right? And so uh, he's doing that afresh here. Verse 27, so the Lord commanded the angel, he returned his sword to its sheath. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him, on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. Uh, and so uh, Solomon's going to just combine them all and bring them back and when he builds the temple. Um, but um, at that time, the tabernacle it was not in Jerusalem. Solomon's going to bring it there. Uh, David bought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but not, but not the whole tabernacle. A little strange, it's a little hard to understand, but that was the state here. There was like a separation, because remember, Moses had the Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle. For whatever reason, they got separated. And the Ark of the Covenant's in Jerusalem, David put it there, but the tabernacle is in this place called Gibeon. Verse 30, but David could not go before it to inquire of the Lord, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. And so he still hasn't completely gotten over the fear thing, even though he knows he's been forgiven. Chapter 22, before we go into chapter 22, remember this is Mount Moriah. Now where was Mount Moriah? Someone shot, what happened at Mount Moriah? Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And this place that David just purchased is on the same place that Abraham offered Isaac. How do we know that? Second Chronicles chapter 3, you don't have to go there. It says this, Solomon built the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And so Mount Moriah is where Abraham went up the mount. God told, you know, God told Abraham, go to the region of Moriah, go up on the mountain and sacrifice there. And then God tells him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. And he puts the sword up to sacrifice his own son. The angel of the Lord says, stop. And then God brings a lamb in its place. And that lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is crucified in that same area of Moriah. He wasn't in the exact same place. He wasn't crucified there because that's where the temple is. And Jesus was crucified outside the gate, outside the wall of Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. So the Bible, it's just all the pieces of the puzzle that comes together, I tell you. Chapter 22. Chapter 22. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And remember in Deuteronomy, God told Moses, I'm going to choose a place in the land of flowing with milk and honey where you're going to put my name. In other words, I'm going to choose a place for a temple. 
This is it. Right here. It's Ornan's threshing floor. This is a large area. And David says in verse 1, this is the house of the Lord God. So this is where the temple is going to be. Now, remember that David was not allowed to himself build the temple because he was a man of blood. He had shed much blood. That's going to come down later in these verses. But what he does here is he does everything, or a lot, put it that way, most of what is needed to build a temple. In other words, he tees the whole thing up for his son Solomon. He's going to make his son Solomon's job much easier. It says here in verse 2, so David commanded to gather the aliens, the meaning the there were immigrants there who were in the land of Israel, and he pointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. So he's preparing the labor here. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gate and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure. Verse 4 and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. I tell you, I ran in, I was down in the Amazon uh, region for three um, weeks and I went um, into the jungle and I, I literally ran into an illegal logging operation, cedar. That stuff is like red gold. It's amazing, incredibly heavy. It takes 100 years to, to do these trees. It's illegal to log unless you have a permit. And, when you, um, and you can just Google it. All kinds of um, illegal cedar comes from the Peruvian Amazon. I ran right into it. And the, all these cedar logs are cut down. They're just already in boards in the middle of the jungle on top of the mountain in, in the jungle area. And it is some seriously impressive wood. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you look at it, and then I picked up one of them. I was hoping someone wasn't pointing a gun at me. There was no one around. They were, there was a, a, a chainsaw way off in the distance that I could hear it. And it is so heavy, and it's so beautiful, cedar. Um, but I understand a lot of the cedar that people even buy in this country. It was illegally logged in the, in the Amazon. It's impressive wood. It says here he got this wood from the Sidonians. That's up in Lebanon, the Lebanon area. Um, they brought much cedar wood to David. Verse 5, now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and, and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So this is where, you know, again, David is called by Samuel a man after God's own heart. For all his flaws, he just wants to love God. He just wants to pour out his love for God. Let me do something for God. That's what he's like. Uh, you know, a person's... Um, you know, maturity, really, a, a Christian's maturity is expressed in how much they love God and how much that works out in their life, how much that is working out. And for all his flaws, we just saw what he did. You know, the guy had some serious sins, but he loves the Lord. 
And he's like, I'm not leaving this earth until my son is prepared to build this temple. He says um, there, uh, he said, he said, so David made abundant preparations before his death, verse 6. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. So there is disagreement here whether this is blood that was shed in a way that it was just. In other words, they were all just wars, but God just doesn't like the idea of a man who had shed so much blood even though it was just. Or whether this is also referring to David, like in 1 Samuel 27, he appeared to be shedding blood there uh, in a way that was, um, I would say, yeah, I would use the word indiscriminate, meaning like no one would seem, God didn't seem to be telling him to do this, and he was going and wiping out villages. It was a very low point in his life there in First Samuel 27. But for whether it was, whatever the right answer is, um, God wouldn't let him build the temple because he has shed much blood. Uh, verse 9, behold, uh, behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. Solomon, the name of, the name Solomon means peaceful. So Solomon at our church, his first and last name is Solomon, Solomon. Really, it's peaceful, peaceful. So you have my permission to go up to Solomon and say, um, hello, peaceful, peaceful. Um, That's his name. Verse 10, he shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now that is a reference to a coming king Jesus Christ, who would reign forever. Verse 11, now my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I got to tell you, there's only one thing really that I care about. And uh, as when I'm about to leave this earth, it's my children as well as the people who have come to the Lord through the ministry here that they continue following the Lord, that they continue walking with the Lord. And this is, uh, this is David who is, <laughs> he, this is what he wants. He's, he's nearing death and he's, he, he's talking to his son and he's like, listen, you'll prosper, verse 13, if, you, if you're strong and courageous. 
with the Lord, if you fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses. I mean, David knows enough that uh, he knows what leads to someone's prosperity in life and what leads to someone's misery. And it's following the Lord. Of course, Solomon dropped he dropped off that, right, towards the, well, not even towards the end of his life, towards, the, I, I think, a significant part of uh, the, the latter years of his life. He, he fell away from that. But here is his heart for his children. Verse 14, indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare the house of the Lord, 100,000 talents of gold. Now that's 3,750 tons of gold. And I read some commentaries on this, and the, the, like some, one of them's like a billion pounds, and a pound is twice as much of a do, as a dollar, so like two billion dollars. I mean, others said, no, this could not possibly be true. I mean, uh, because it's so much. I, I never believed those commentaries. Uh, I believe it was whatever. I mean, it's unclear how much a talent of gold was at this time, but this is a lot of gold. And uh, when you start reading everything that was made out of gold in the temple, it does make sense. They had to have a lot of gold. I mean, there was gold on the pavement. There was gold everywhere. Uh, in Solomon's time, silver was as nothing, right? That's what we're going to read. It, it was nothing. It was worthless. Silver. There was just so much gold everywhere. And it says here, a million talents of silver. That's 37,500 uh, tons of silver. That's one commentator guess as to how much it was. And bronze, bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. You know, one of the things that um, is a little confusing to me is Moses was told by God, when you built an altar, don't even put a chisel to it, because I don't want, I'm not into like really fancy stuff. But then God, you know, the, the Lord directed, he gave plans for a temple to Solomon, and it was very ornate, and there was lots of gold. And it's like, you know, I prefer, I think the Calvary Chapel style is like, don't put a chisel to a stone, just make it as simple as possible. But you have this example of, of Solomon as well, and I just think, one, the Lord just wanted people to see just a glimpse of what was going to be in heaven. And, and that was, that's what that was about. Of course, it was all destroyed, right? So in the end, it all burned. God showed, like, this stuff is not important to me. I like, personally, the Exodus one. <laughs> when, you, when you build an altar with stone. Don't even put a chisel to a stone. Make it very simple so people are not distracted. They're just focusing on me. Uh, but this temple is going to be a whopper. It's going to be big time. Verse 15, moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working and the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek 
the Lord your God. I love that. Don't miss that. It says of Jehoshaphat and one other king, I don't remember who it was, it said, prepare your heart to seek the Lord. In other words, it didn't just say seek the Lord. It says, prepare your heart to seek the Lord. And notice how it sa- what it says there, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. One of the prayers I have for the church is on Saturday night and Sunday morning that people will, you know, I, I don't know how you, how you, you're in whatever until um, very late on Saturday night um, at the circus or the fair or wherever in a wild, you know, in a party or whatever, and, and, and then expecting to go and worship the Lord on Saturday morning. And, and it's, you, it's, it's just something to consider, and this is something legalism can get in. I'm not, that's not my heart at all. But I just notice when I set my heart, I establish my heart to seek the Lord. I consider, you know, I want to take it easy on Saturday night because I want to start preparing my heart to seek the Lord tomorrow. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. He says, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord.